Good morning, Ridge Church. If, uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, I'm Rusty, one of the pastors here at the Ridge. Uh, pastor Bobby's here today. He's just taking a bit of a breather, sort of recharging his batteries a little bit. He started off the series on prayer last week, and he'll be back up here next week as we continue in that series. And uh, there's a rumor, and I don't know if it's true, but it's, it's just a rumor and, and that, in case you're wondering, Bobby is an interlocker. I mean, I'm just... <laughs> I'm sure there's a rumor going around because I'm the one who started it. But (laughs) just watch out next time you're close to him in prayer. Uh, Prayer. Talking about prayer in this series, obviously an important thing in a Christian's life. Uh, Today we're going to focus our our time on prayer about praying for others. Okay? Uh, Our prayer is basically talking to God, uh, spending time talking to God the Father and, and Jesus the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's about Prayer is all about building relationship, right? Uh, I mean, let's face it. You don't build a relationship with someone that you never talk to. Pretty much have to talk to them to get a relationship going. And in the same way uh, with God. And one of the things we're going to talk about is how much time do we spend in our prayer praying for ourselves versus others? Okay? That's uh, one of the things we'll take a look at today. Are, are our prayers focused on God and others, or are they focused on us? How are we even supposed to pray for other people? And, and what about people that we, we don't even know, never met them? Uh, are we supposed to pray for them? And if so, how, how are we going to pray for those people as well? Uh, last week, Bobby broke down the Lord's Prayer, gave us an anatomy of a prayer, uh, did a good job of breaking that prayer down that Christ gave us as an example. And in the Lord's Prayer, there's also praying for others. Now, if I'm totally honest with you, which you would hope that a pastor would be, um, I have to admit that the majority, for the majority of my life, my prayer life was really really selfish. Um, Where it was focused more on me than it was focused on God, it were focused on others. And even, I still struggle with it today. Uh, This past week, preparing for this message today, I'm I'm trying to get my heart right and my mind right, and I'm spending some time with God, and so I, I start to pray, and one of the First things that came out of my mouth was, Lord, give me a message. Give me. Give me. I'm supposed to be praying for others, and I'm sitting there going, give me. It's a wonder God just didn't reach down and dope slap me right then. I mean, it is a struggle. It is a struggle for us. But we need to focus on praying for others. Uh, My prayer life along these lines took a drastic change in October of 2007. And I thought it was changed about as much as it could at that time, just in one fell swoop, but a couple of weeks later, it took even another jump. November 1st, 2007, there were two milestones in my family's life. One, uh, it was my wife, Kay. It was her birthday. She turned 49. 
Two, it was the day that we got the results back that we were told were positive and that she had breast cancer. At that time, my entire prayer life changed. I prayed harder, longer, with more commitment and more compassion for my wife than I had ever prayed for anyone in my entire life. And from that day until October 3rd, 2011, that continued. I prayed every way that I possibly knew how to pray and even prayed some ways that I, I didn't know how to pray that way. I prayed standing, sitting, kneeling, laying on my face. I prayed all hours of the day and night. I prayed at home. I prayed in doctor's offices, hospitals, at work, at church, prayer meetings. I prayed alone. I prayed with friends. I prayed with family, with prayer warriors, with doctors, nurses, even prayed with strangers. I prayed with fear. I prayed out of anger. I prayed out of love. I prayed out of despair, out of hope. I prayed in a language that I had never even heard before. I prayed in faith. And if I were perfectly honest, there were some times that I prayed without a lot of faith. I prayed with focus, and I prayed with confusion. I begged, pleaded, bargained, cried, sobbed, wailed, and sang praises. I learned a lot about praying for others during that four years. When Kay passed away on October 3rd, 2011, that following year, I also learned about being on the receiving end of other people praying for me. You see, we're called to pray for others. And, it, and it's been said that the only, not the only way, but one way to measure a Christian's maturity is to check their prayer life and see how much of their prayer are for God and for others compared to how much of their prayer time is for ourselves. Now, it got pointed out earlier today, and, and I, I, I tend to forget this. Uh, Kay and I were married for 28 years, and Kay was one of these people that everybody knew. Heaven forbid going to Walmart with Kay. You know, plan on two hours to go get, you know... Uh, just a jug of milk. You're going to be there for two hours because she's running into people. Um, and I, I forget that that's not the case anymore. But Kay was one of the original core group when we got ready to plant the ridge. Uh, Kay was a prayer warrior. And when I say prayer warrior, I mean prayer warrior. Kay was one of those people that when you heard pray, it was like, oh, my word, I didn't know you could pray like that. And you were just hoping you weren't the next one to pray. Because I like, had, you know, what well, she said, God. I mean, you know, uh, and I learned a lot during our 28 years of, of marriage about prayer from her, listening to her, watching her. Uh, Kay had a heart for others, and she would pour out that heart in, in any way she could, and especially in prayer. Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer to pray for others. And the Bible's full of examples about praying for others. 
Uh, Paul is a, is a really good, it gives us a number of examples. Paul wrote a number of letters to different churches. And a lot of those, and a lot of those letters were prayers for those churches. And that's what we're going to take a look at today. Uh, we're going to take a look at one of those part of, a short part of one of those letters. Uh, there was a church in a city called Colossae. And Colossae is in what now, southwest Turkey. Uh, and that letter that Paul wrote to the church at Colossae is in the Bible and is what we refer to as the book of Colossians. And so, and, and we're going to really focus on Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 12, and we're going to break those down in just a minute. So if, if you have your Bible app, go ahead and, and be bringing that up. Well, of course, we'll put it up on the screen too. Uh, if you have your uh, just a paper Bible, that which is awesome, you know, feel free to use that. If you ever need a Bible, also know that we have Bibles out in the lobby uh, that are free for you to take, take home, keep it, what, you know, whatever, along with some other material. I uh, would love to have one of those. But let's take a minute, read over this scripture, and then we're going to really dig down into this, okay? If you would, please stand with me as we take a look at Colossians 1, verses 9 through 12. It says, And so, <clears throat> from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance with patience and patience with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Amen. Go and have a seat. <clears throat> now, the standard operating procedure for most pastors seems to be uh, to have three points. Okay, three points in a message. That's sort of the standard. I've never been called a standard pastor. I'm not sure I've ever been called a standard anything. Um, so we're not doing three points today. We're doing six. And y'all are the last service. I don't even have to finish up quick to get another service in. Congratulations. That'll increase attendance in the first service. We're going to cover six points, though. Now, in these six points, we, seriously, we're not going to spend much time in each one. But understand, these are six very important points. And I... I I highly encourage you to spend some time this week going back over these. You know, whether it's in your small group, which would be awesome, and a lot of our small groups do that. They go back over the message points and, and dig deeper into those. We have a little bit more time. Uh, whether it's your daily devotional, whether you, you know, maybe you take one point a day and really, really dig into that and, and pray into that and, and see what God lays on your heart about that, that one point as you meditate about that. But six points, we're going to go through them pretty quick and then uh, and touch on each of them and go from there, okay? So here we go. First point, that they know God's will for their lives, that they know God's will for their lives. One of the most important things you can pray for somebody is that they know God's will for their life. And so, well, I thought salvation was the most important. Well, that's part of God's will, you know. But God's designed each of us, and understand this, God has designed each of us for a very specific purpose. He's given you certain talents, abilities, gifts, personalities, passions, 
The reason you have those things is because he has a very specific part in his grand scheme, this huge plan. He has a part that he has designed you specifically to take care of. And he's given you everything you need to take care of that. But it's hard to take care of if you don't know what it is. It says in Colossians, we have, not, uh, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul recognized that knowing God's will is a spiritual issue. It's going to require some prayer. It's going to require some time talking to God about it. Asking him, seeking that will, know, un, know how and, and even just to understand his will for your life. So he prayed for the church at Colossae that they would have that, that they would know what it was, they could understand it, so they could apply it. You know, it would be nice if we could say, you know, God, what do you want? What do you want for me today? What, what do you want me to do? What, what's your will for me? And that God would just send us a text. That would be sweet. God, what do you want me to do today? Oh, cool, and go on. But it doesn't work that way, Right? Matter of fact, the next time you ask what God's will is and your phone buzzes right now, you're going to freak. Uh, <laughs> you can be going, is it God? Uh, no, it won't be. Uh, but, yeah, we have to spend time in prayer, talking to God, just like any, anybody else. We want to know what they want, what they want us to do. We have to ask, then we have to listen, and that's part of God's will. That's step one. That's one thing to pray for. Two, pray that they will do God's will in their lives. Pray that they'll actually do it. Not, not only that they know it, but they'll actually do it. Uh, the second thing in verse 10 uh, says, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. Paul prayed that the people of, of Colossae would know God's will, but he also understood that knowing it didn't guarantee that they were going to do it. I have a quote in my classroom at school uh, that says, there's a world of difference in knowing what to do and actually doing it. The same applies for God's will. Coming out of college, God made it incredibly clear to me that I was supposed to go into the ministry. Uh, he made that incredibly clear to me because I had a campus minister who hmm, highly encouraged slash push. Uh, me into going through an interview process. And uh, I thought, well, that's great. I'll, I'll never get selected. There were 50 positions and over 150 people were uh, flown down to Atlanta for interviews. And I thought, you know, I know me, this isn't going to happen because the interview was for a position uh, as a missionary. I went through the process and a couple of weeks later got a phone call with the Southern, from the Southern Baptist Convention offering me a two-year position as a missionary in the U.S. It was a sweet gig. I would have gone to Boone, North Carolina. I would have worked during the summers as a liaison between the campgrounds and parks and the local churches, and in the winter between ski resorts and the local churches. Wow. And I turned it down. God's will was for me to go into ministry. My will was to be a coach. And I turned and walked away. 
Now, I told you that Kay was a prayer warrior. For around 20 years or so, most of that with, without me having any knowledge, Kay constantly prayed that God would soften my heart and that I would answer the call that he had planned out for me and that I would go into the ministry. It was due a huge deal of, of me being in the ministry today is due to the fact that she had the patience and perseverance to pray me back into God's will. Paul prayed that they would act on what they learned because, you see, bottom line is we have to have action to fulfill God's will for us. In case you're wondering, let me clear this up for you. God's plan for your life is not to show up once a week, sit for an hour or so in church, and head to the house, and that's all he has planned for you. That's not his will for you. He's given you too much. He's given you, like I said, specific things to accomplish his will. That's not his will for you. His will for you is going to require some action. The whole point of knowing God's will and, and walking in a manner that pleases him, as it says in Colossians, is to please God, to make God happy. Well, what about me? Let me repeat that, to make God happy. And hopefully, making God happy is what makes us happy. And it will be if we put him above ourselves. See, in Paul's time, the people really, really valued knowledge, the accumulation of knowledge. They wanted to have all the knowledge they, they could. Really, a lot like we are today. But Paul understood that knowledge on its own, knowledge without any application, is useless. It doesn't do us any good. It's one thing to know God's will. It's another thing to be willing to change how we feel about it and to accept it. And especially when God's will doesn't match up with our will for our lives. Number three, pray for their lives to be productive. For their lives to be productive. Uh, Paul want, uh, wanted those that he prayed for to be wise, but he wanted them to use that knowledge, right? And God wants us to learn more about him so that we can put those beliefs into practice by helping others. So Paul prayed for the church at Colossae to have productive lives. The life of an obedient Christian is what the Bible refers to as fruitful. Fruitful. Our, our creator designed us to be Fruitful. Jesus said in John 15, I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will remain. The greatest fruit, remain means to last, right? So the greatest fruit that a person can produce is something that's going to last eternally. That would be things like salvation of an unbeliever or the discipleship of a believer or a spirit-filled ministry to help others. That type of thing. Point four. Pray for them to have a growing relationship with God. A growing relationship with God. As Christians, we ought, should be all about growing spiritually. We're not called just to, to, to get in and stop. 
It's, it's a lifelong process to, to, to grow spiritually, to grow more and more, and, and to build this relationship with God. Uh, verse 10 says, increasing in the knowledge of God. But here's the deal. Most of what you actually learn about God doesn't come until after you know his will, you're trying to fulfill that will, and you're bearing fruit. Now, let me put it another way. It's hard to be close to God when we're being disobedient children. The knowledge it talks about is knowledge that comes from life experience. It's, it's knowledge that comes from study. It's the knowledge that helps us to understand God. Paul knew that everything hinges on the health and vitality of our relationship with our Creator. What rain and sunshine are to the growth of a plant. Okay? Knowledge in our relationship with God is that same thing to our spiritual growth. Number five, pray for power in their lives. Power in their lives. Verse 11 says, Strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. Paul prayed that the people would receive power. The power he's talking about is the Holy Spirit. As a Christian, when we accept Christ, when we accepted Christ, when we asked Christ to come into our life, we also got the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit actually dwells in us once you've accepted Christ. And the Holy Spirit is where we get our power from. One of the many ways that, that I've been blessed since Kay left here and, and entered heaven, uh, a dear friend of ours, Andrea Harrell, who oversees some of our children's stuff downstairs, recognized immediately a need in my life. She knew <laughs> that I needed help cleaning. And so for the last three, almost three and a half years, every two, three weeks, Andrea stops by the house sometime, cleans the kitchen, cleans the bathroom, bless her heart, cleans the living room, runs the vacuum, a lot of times, I don't even know when she's going to be there. I come in from school. I open the door. This is, no, this is not an exaggeration. I open the door and know she's been there because it smells better. <laughs> Who knew if you push the button on the air freshener, air freshener would come out and make the place smell better? Andrea knows that. I mean, she uses it. Uh, something else she uses is the vacuum cleaner. Now, that vacuum cleaner... It's designed for a very specific purpose. And it has the capabilities to do that purpose incredibly well. But if you don't plug it in, it doesn't work. I know. I've tried. I've left it sitting there for weeks. It won't run on its own. It has to get its power from another source. And we're the exact same way. As Christians, we have to get our power from another source. We're designed to do a very specific thing. We have the capabilities and abilities to do that thing. 
But if we don't plug into this other power, which for us in this case is the Holy Spirit, then why would we think it's going to work? Now, yeah, sure, we can do some things on our own. We can do that. We can accomplish some things. But it is never going to touch the level that we could accomplish for God if we allow the Holy Spirit as our power source. And another thing that happens when we recognize that is then we also start to recognize just how much we need God and depend on God. With this power, it talks about having the strength and patience, the strength to do stuff, the strength to do things in the face of adversity, the patience to get through trials, the endurance to finish what God has put before us. As we went from doctor's office to doctor's office, from, from, from Oak Ridge to Nashville to Tulsa, on two different occasions, we prayed for our doctors constantly. And some of our doctors were Christians and some weren't. And we, we were constantly praying for, for medical staff that was, was overseeing the situation. But I can think of two specific situations when our doctors were not Christians that after they had come in and, and we'd been through everything and sometimes not receiving very good news, they would start to walk out and Kay, strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit, would say, we'd like to pray with you. And the doctor would go, well, you know, that, that's fine. I appreciate your prayers for me and, and you know, I'll, I'll leave you to that. And they would turn around and start to walk out the door and Kay would go, no, 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 no. We, we don't want to just pray for you. We want to pray with you. And she would pull them back in and get a hold of their hand and pray for Christ to enter their life. That power to put aside the situation that she's in, the situation of things like saying, well, your cancer is back or it's worse or, you know, we're not sure this drug isn't working anymore, so now we're going to have to try to step up. The power to put all of that aside And say, you know what? I want to pray with you. Because you don't have something that you really, really need. And that's Jesus Christ. If, if things don't go well for me, what happens to me? Well, I spend the rest of eternity in heaven worshiping Jesus. And hey, love to worship Jesus. So that's the worst that's going to happen to me. But you, that's, that's not your future. I'm concerned about that. Let me pray for you about that. That power came from the Holy Spirit. Number six. Pray for them to have the right attitude. Christians are not called, please get this straight, Christians are not called to have this stoic, stiff upper lip, stick-in-the-mud type attitude. That's not what we are called to. Verse 12 says, Joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in an inheritance in the saints in life. In other words, Paul saying and praying that the church at Colossia will have this positive, thankful, joyful attitude in everything that they do. But why is, it, why is attitude even important? Of course it's important. It's important about almost every aspect of our life, isn't it? 
It deals with our ability to learn, our commitment, our contentment, our relationships. Our attitude also matters in our relationship to God. As you pray for others, pray that they will have a joyful attitude. And, and remember that joy is different from happiness. Okay? They're not the same thing. Joy is internal and based on Christ. Happiness is external and based on circumstances. Joy is eternal and linked to our salvation. Happiness, happiness is external and based on our, our emotions. Paul's praying for his Christians, brothers and sisters to find joy in their lives so as a result they can be the salt and the light to the rest of the world. So they can be a, a beacon of hope that people can be drawn to Christ through them. Kay was not happy about having cancer. But I've never seen anyone show the joy that that woman showed during the course of her cancer. An example is Kay was a professionally trained clown. And I remember going to chemo with her dressed in full clown costume. And when she got back and the, and the, the chemo nurses had her hooked up to her IV, Kay comes out of her chair, calls the nurses from behind the desk, has her IV in her arm, IV bag hanging onto the pole. She has her pole in the middle of the floor, nurses on both sides, quote, pole dancing, unquote, in the middle of the chemo ward. And people sitting there in chairs receiving their chemo, knowing that the next few weeks is going to be pretty much hell on earth for them, are smiling. Her joy, being her joy coming from Christ, enabled her to bring light into the world for others. And she was very quick to explain to people when they asked why. She was very quick to explain that it was because of Christ. And they could find that through Christ. As you spend time praying for others, some strange things start to happen. You'll find that your attitude is going to improve. Your attitude for people are going to improve. You're going to be more positive. You're going to be more compassionate. Your prayer focus will start to mature. Where at one time your focus was on what you could get, what God could give you. Now all of a sudden it starts to shift to what you can give and how you can be a blessing where your prayer focus was on your hurt, your pain, regardless of if it's emotional or mental or physical or whatever, your, your pain, your focus on your pain shifts from your hurt to being a healer and a helper. And how can you help someone else that's hurting? Your worry about your problems shifts to focusing on the power and grace of God. 
you'll find that as you pray for others and their lives change, your life changes too. We're going to close today. There, as we close, there are two pieces of plexiglass up here at the front and some Sharpies. As Kevin plays for the next few minutes and even during the course of the, of the next song that the band is playing, ask God to put on your heart someone to pray for and what to pray for them. Maybe it's one of these six points. Maybe it's something completely different. doesn't matter. Just listening to God and saying, what is he putting on your heart to pray for someone? And when he does, then come up to the front, ask you to come to the front, pick up one of these Sharpies, write their first name on this plexiglass, and just briefly write what you're praying for about them. We've done this in the first two services. We'll do it now. We're going to take these two pieces of plexiglass and we're going to put them in the hallway. And we're going to leave them up during the remainder of the prayer series so that we can be reminded that we're praying for others, that we're called to pray for others. Ridge Church, this part of our vision, and this is taking a step toward that vision, part of our vision is not to be a church that prays but to be a praying church. A church filled with power. The power of the Holy Spirit to pray for others and change lives. To bring people closer to Christ. So they can be a joy and the salt and the light. And can in turn bring others to Christ. So as Kevin plays, when you have a name, when you have something to pray for, please come up and put it on the plexiglass.